Your dream job is out there somewhere. The one you were made for, the one you deserve. It may be one handshake away, one conversation away, one introduction away. So make sure you give yourself the chance to attend events, to go to seminars in domains that interest you but are outside of your area of research. This will give you the opportunity to learn about career spaces adjacent to your own and to incrementally move towards that one conversation and towards that position that will bring you meaning and fulfillment. In this episode, we'll be hearing from Sati Rajashekran about the different stages that brought him from the bench to the global health arena. Human beings are not, I mean, unless you're super talented, getting it right the first time is pretty much unlikely to happen. And the interview is a one-shot thing, so... Practice it, get your pitch right, sound natural, be comfortable, be confident. And the only way you do that is by talking and talking and talking to someone else to the point where you know exactly what you're going to say and you can like pivot based on what someone's responses are. Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendez, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. So today we're talking with Sati Rajashekran. Sati is the Chief Innovation Officer at Chakaranda Health and oversees development of innovative tools, research projects, and public sector and academic partnerships with the aim of leveraging Jacaranda's expertise and insight to influence maternal health care in East Africa. Prior to joining Jacaranda Health, Sati was in the innovation space in Montreal and was a senior program manager for the drug access and health financing teams of the Clinton Health Access Initiative, and led CHAI's work providing technical assistance to the Swaziland Ministry of Health. Sati holds a PhD in neurology and neurosurgery. Welcome to the show, Sati. Thanks, David. So I'm super happy to have you here. Uh, you know, we've known each other for a while. We were uh, in, in uh, grad school together. That's right. And yeah. uh, now you're quite far from um, Montreal. Yeah, 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 a couple couple thousand kilometers in uh, Nairobi <laughs> in Kenya. Excellent. And uh, so, yeah, I, I'd really like uh, that, that now you told the, the audience a little bit more about yourself, uh, what you do, and, uh, and uh, quickly just say how, how you got to where you are today. Yeah, so I, uh, I live and work in Nairobi in Kenya, which is in East Africa. And I work in the maternal and newborn health space. So in Sub-Saharan Africa, in, in fact, many parts of the world, um, maternal mortality, newborn mortality uh, are very huge challenges uh, that countries grapple with. And my, the organization that I work for, Jacaranda Health, uh, tries to create solutions uh, that address this challenge. Um, and we work with government hospitals. We deploy these solutions to try and improve the care that's delivered to try and get more mums to care, um, all the while while taking an entrepreneurial approach to health service delivery. My journey here uh, is convoluted. You know, started with a research background, doing a PhD with with you, of course, and you know, then moved into the translational research space, so looking at uh, drug development, therapeutic development, uh, then into the space of 
the business of science, uh, really, and uh, took a pause, got sick of it uh, a little bit, and then uh, pivoted to global health and applying skills to solving global health challenges. So I moved to Africa. <laughs> That's that's super interesting and 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 uh, anyway it's uh, convoluted like you say, but uh, it's really cool that you know you, you did a huge move to to go there. Now, I guess you you didn't always imagine yourself doing you know something that looked like what you're doing today. No, I uh, I mean uh, absolutely not. I think I think when I went to university, I wanted to be a doctor. So pivot number one was going into research uh, and, and clinical research or, or medical research um, and then uh, doing a PhD in that. Uh, and then, of course, multiple multiple pivots after that. So uh, it's been an interesting journey. So once, you know, okay, you, you decided you were going into research, that's when you, you said, okay, I'm going to grad school and to, and to do a, a PhD, I guess, right? Was your idea to follow the academic career path or were you just open to, to whatever would come afterwards? No, I think it was definitely to follow the academic career path. Um, although I, I, I would say it was really to, to make scientific discoveries, right? I, I, I feel that's why everyone gets excited about research. That's why, yeah, that's why we go into science. Yeah, yeah exactly. The process of discovery, which I love, I still love. Um, uh, the idea of an academic career path, I think when you start doing formal research is pretty unknown to most people. You know, like a student doesn't, when they start, typically doesn't know what that means. And I think that eventually a uh, deeper understanding of that um, sort of maybe changed priorities a bit. Mm -hmm. So when you were in grad school and when you, you, you probably had a moment uh, where the path of going to do a postdoc and then to uh to do another one and then to try and have tenure somewhere once you found or you felt that that was not what you were going to follow how did that impact your motivation and um you know your your um, focus to finish your phd i mean i think you know during the phd obviously i had like a broad range of friends who were doing different things i was learning about different career paths so i thought you know there's lots of interesting ways to solve challenges and problems. And I think the the application of skills to to different challenges is is an interesting question, right? So if you follow the path uh, of classic research in academia, you you actually you're narrowing down your problem set, right? You start off with your PhD, which is looking at one subject, then you keep going narrow and narrow until you become the specialist in a field and you probably apply one classic tool to that particular cell that you're looking at or protein uh, and that's pretty much your career which is totally you know I, I respect that and I think it's, it's so important for science and the development of science uh, but that wasn't me uh, and I and I recognized that what I was really excited about was just trying a whole bunch of different things learning new tools learning new techniques analytical approaches and not necessarily being wedded to what the challenge was, uh, as long as it had an impact on people and people's lives. Um, so I do remember, I, I think there was a point when I was, you know, three years into it, when I was like, I really like what I'm doing, but I don't think I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. I don't think it was demotivating. I think it was scary more than anything else. I think there was a lot of fear of, well, if not this, then what? 
um, and how, right? Because I'd been in research for so long. Yeah. Uh, well, relatively long. Well, it's a long time. And, and uh, you know, once you finish your PhD, it can be, you know, a bunch of years. But, uh, you know, you talk about fear. And I think a lot of our listeners can be going and definitely must be going through something like that. Fear, anxiety about the unknown of what comes after. So how did you go about, you know, what tools, what habits, what uh, strategies did you use to take care of that to, and to say, okay, my objective is finishing, you know, publishing if I can, writing, and then something else. How did you go about dealing with that fear and moving forward? Yeah, so I think um, the first thing was to sort of identify, you know, what after the PhD, what did I want to do? Um, and then work my way backwards to figuring out what skills I needed to develop in order to get there. So actually, the first thing was, uh, and this happens a lot, I was I had a bunch of friends in business school or, or grad, you know, like finance, and, and they were like, oh, you should do management consulting. I'm like, cool, what's that? You know, <laughs> um, And they're like, well, you know, you work for these big companies that solve a bunch of problems for other companies. Uh, and it's, it's awesome because you learn a lot about everything and then you get to, you get to like move up this corporate career ladder. It's like, great, that sounds good. Uh, I guess I need to learn about business, which I had, I had no idea about, right? Like as a, as a scientist. So I uh, started listening to, to podcasts, reading The Economist, took a couple of courses in finance at Concordia, uh, learned, uh, I did all these like case studies that you do to, to, to go do interviews for management consultancy firms. Um, and, you know, fast forward to a time when I was doing interviews for these firms, uh, you know, I had some success, but not, not that much. And um, one of the guys uh, I was interviewing with after I totally bombed the interview, uh, <laughs> it said, man, you've got like five publications already. You've got this body of work. Um, why do you want to do this? <laughs> and I, I did not have an answer for him. Because um, obviously the answer of, because I want to do something else is not, a, is not a good enough answer, right? So, um, but the point is what, what that was helpful in doing was just getting me started on learning something different and exposing myself to new things. So business courses, finance courses, different skill sets. Um, that was helpful uh, in the long run, actually. So, so just to recap a little bit, what, I, what I'm getting, and I think it's very important, is find a, a, a mission or an objective or, or a domain that interests, that interests you then I, I saw research. You did research on that domain. You got uh, uh, educated on that. Domain. So you, you went and got training. So you can either teach yourself or get training specifically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, taught, my, taught myself a lot and did training on the cheap as much as possible. Exactly. And uh, I think that's very, very important. And it's definitely something, you know, grad students should should do uh, even, even as, a, you know, just something that's, that you do from the outset when you're in grad school. Because you don't want to pigeonhole yourself and looking at what's out there in the job market, what type of careers are interesting, it could, it could be a hobby almost. <laughs> and it's going to be super helpful after when you want to transition. I think so. I think, I think it's just great to be a student of as much as possible, even if your career path is academia, uh, you know, exposing yourself to a broad range of thoughts and thinking uh, and skills is so important. Uh, it's so enriching for, for a human to do that. Yeah, and, and after going through grad school, uh, in my opinion, and tell me if you agree, 
you you become almost a, a very you know it's almost guaranteed that you're a very very good student you can you know, you can become almost a specialist in whatever piques your interest and that you go into because you learn how to study and to uh, garner information to digest it and and to to, uh, to analyze it and to to you know dive into it completely i think that is that is a fundamental skill that most people sell short uh, in graduate school is the ability to to process information very quickly and apply it uh, which must have been important for those employers that that you interviewed with, right? Theoretically, yes. Yeah, I mean that's what they were looking for. They're looking for really smart people who could get, absorb a lot of information and then create a PowerPoint deck for a client. But one other interesting point uh, about about these, and uh, I remember going uh, going for a, a presentation for one of these companies, and I think you interviewed uh, one of the big ones. It, it doesn't matter, but m- my point is, how did you go about? Uh, promoting yourself to these people who were interviewing you. Did you get any training? Did you uh, did you use any of the resources that existed at McGill to prepare you for interviewing, uh, or was it you know did you just wing it and uh, you know did it come naturally to you? So definitely uh, use peer resources as much as possible. Uh, so not in not in like the neuroscience department, but for example, other folks who are looking to join the same stream. There's definitely other people who I was chatting with, uh, whether they had a health background or not. Uh, so I even remember we started a consulting case study club, which was super helpful. Uh, I had, I was talking to a lot of people at the business school to try and understand what they were doing and getting tips from them. Um, and just talking to as many people as I knew who had connections somewhere and asking for advice as much as possible. And I think that helped in some cases with getting an interview, although I don't, I don't actually think it helped very much. Uh, it was useful. But at least uh, the more you talk, the more you pitch, right? So you learn how to refine the story about yourself. The question everyone's going to ask is, so why do you want to do this and why should they hire you? Uh, and you just come up with your, your sort of unique selling proposition uh, as much as possible as a candidate. So you kind of got coached in a way by your your network. I think so. I think so. Active, actively sought coaches as much as possible. Excellent. That, that's that's also great advice. And uh, for sure, uh, your your network is, uh, you know, when when you're in grad school, there's a bunch of interesting people around you from like all around the world, often, and um, and uh, uh, and who know other people, even even PIs. Uh, around you may know people who work in domains that interest you so uh, definitely talk uh, conversations are are one of the central things i think uh, in this in this uh, in solving this conundrum of what can i do next is talking with people who either have looked for the same thing you've looked for or who have done the transition that that you have uh, so yeah no i agree now okay so you did the, you had this try in in uh, in uh, you tried uh, going into this type of of, um, of job in with a consulting company, and did you end up getting one, or or did that just not uh, materialize? Didn't materialize. The other thing I should say that I was trying, and you know about this as well, was uh, was you know this was the time when people were doing startups and things like that. So we tried setting up. Uh, a little company together, like a graphic design company called. Oh my gosh, that's true. Cell sketch. Yeah, yeah, that's right. 
So the idea, idea being that we we knew how to use Adobe Illustrator. Can we sell these images that we're making um, for money? Which I, I, you know, not a bad idea in retrospect. You know, it didn't it didn't go where it was supposed to go, but it was a learning experience. Like uh, in terms of you know, what do you have to do? Uh, we we tried to get a gig with IC Axon. I remember, which is just fun. You know, like just as a graduate student, absolutely no sales experience. Cold, <laughs> yeah. cold cold talking to people at conferences. And um, I think that experience was actually more uh, formative um, for what happened next than any of the management consulting interviews. Mm -hmm. Um, But the whole point was I was just trying a whole bunch of different things. The thing is often uh, it may be difficult when you're inside a, a, like let's say a PhD project to say, I have time or or I'm going to take some time to do this to do this research uh, to but i think it's it's something that you need to put into your routine maybe you know you're not going to interview starting year one of your phd to start interviewing with companies but thinking about that being in that mindset of you know i'm i'm building up this phd it's going to be it's going to serve me to for my professional life afterwards i should start th- thinking about that uh, but these these things that that we're talking about were more at the end of your PhD, right? Yeah, the last couple of years. Um, you know, I think it, like, it was lucky with a fairly flexible lab environment, a lot of independence. I had established that I knew what I was doing in the lab. So there was no concern over productivity. But I also think there's generally an unhealthy work environment in most labs. Uh, you know, the work-life balance is pretty poor. Um, and lots of pressure to spend, you know, 12 hours a day in a lab. Um, yeah, it's an issue. It is. Yeah. And I, I, you know, no one ever asks you in an interview how many hours a day you work, right? They don't, they don't care. What they really want to know is what have you done? Um, and maybe that's your scientific output, but maybe it's your hobby or your, you know, your side gig. Um, so if you can do it, try and do it, um, and try and find that balance where you're able to learn different things and do different things. So yeah, I I totally agree, and and we're gonna talk about transferable skills later. But but you know, I think you touched upon it right now, and and it's it's true. Um, but let's maybe get to the next step in your trajectory. So, eventually, you got into like you said, you got into the the, the innovation space uh, at in Montreal still. Um, how did that you know how did that happen? Uh, was your network uh, your, your current network that you had at the time important to, towards this first uh, uh, this first job uh, outside academia that you had? So my first job wasn't completely outside of academia. So I got quite lucky in finding a program that was actually at the Montreal Neuro uh, at the time, the Experimental Therapeutics Program, which essentially was translational research. So one foot in the industry working with pharma companies, one foot in, in the lab. Um, and it was, it was really the best stepping stone in retrospect for me, you know, had a, had a, a great mentor who, who, uh, took a chance on me, uh, you know, no professional work experience, but said, look, I like the way you think. I like your hustle, uh, take the job, see what you can do with it. Um, and I, I worked really hard to learn how to manage a team, uh, and, you know, deliver on a budget and, and pitch projects and, and get money. Um, so it was, it was a very lucky experience that was kind of quasi research, quasi industry. Um, 
just it was great so it was it was a good uh, kind of a good school for you to learn all the a bunch of skills that i guess today you're you're using you're making use of for your current work absolutely yeah absolutely uh, so i did that for a few years um and um sort of as as you know things happen uh, there was another opportunity on really like improving the way uh, discovery makes its way to to industry uh, again still at McGill um, but looking at the tech tech transfer space uh, but not classic sort of tech transfer but actually the business development side of things how do you build partnerships how do you engage investors how do you build a product before you go out and try and get a patent or sell it uh, and i think that that was at the mcgill center for biomedical innovation um and again just a unique opportunity where i was able to to work in a very small team uh you know hustle with you know very few resources but just learn a lot about like creating companies building uh, an entrepreneurial ecosystem um, and failing, frankly, learning about failure, um, cause you know, it didn't actually work out in the end. And I think very important as well. This is super interesting to me because, um, you know, what I find super interesting is that you were able somehow to stay close to, to actually, actually to research, to stay close to even to your, uh, the university where you were. So yeah, for, for, for people who, who may uh, you know who know that they don't want to go the academic path uh, but are still very much uh, in love let's say with university um, what advice would you give them as as to finding an alternative academic career one of these that are that stay parallel to academia but that that are not you know bench research uh, you know that that stay that stay a little bit uh, in that universe while but while being uh, apart or separate from that. Is there any advice on how to navigate that, how to present yourself, how to explore your university for maybe institutes or groups that might be doing these interesting things? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the truth is there's, there's a lot of administrative support, system level support that goes into making a, a university what it is. You know, that, that can be anything from communications to... Um, you know, like partnership development or government relationships uh, to, uh, you know, the sort of business of science side of things that I, I eventually felt found myself in. Um, and the, the people who are best suited to that are individuals with an academic background and usually individuals with a research background. So uh, it is not a, a, an unusual path for someone to follow. Um, I think the danger is to make sure that it's not the easiest path to choose. Uh, so I actually was very reluctant in both cases to pick a job that was so close to what I had done before. But I guess the rule of thumb was always, am I going to learn more? And I'm, am I going to face a new challenge that is, is going to you know, have a, a meaningful impact? Um, so, so it's a two-sided thing. I think it's, it's easy for someone to follow that path, but I think it's, it can also be kind of too easy in a way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so just to go back to my question, how did these opportunities arise to, to go from, you know, being in a lab to being in that uh, knowledge transfer unit and to then uh, being in this, in this, uh, in this last one that, that you mentioned? Um, I'm just, I'm just asking to, to maybe, you know, 
give inspiration to people who might be listening to look around and say, oh, actually, there's a group in my, uh, in my institute that's doing something that's you know, parallel, related, and that I'd really like to do, although it's not research. How, did, how to navigate that? How, how can people look for those, look for those opportunities? Because there, be, there must be a lot of them in every university. Yeah, absolutely. I think the common thread is to just learn and talk to as many people as possible. So I, all of these opportunities that I learned about were serendipitous. Uh, no one advertised anything. Uh, I had built a network, uh, was, and not, not with an intention of getting a job, but just to learn what people were up to and maintain connections and just interesting. And so... Through that network, you start to hear about things. And as a, as a scientist, I mean, typically we want to learn as much as possible to understand what the model is. So I just kept asking questions. Most people are usually pretty happy to answer questions and you just, you move from there. And so with every, every one of those positions, and in, in fact, even the, the future positions came through conversations with, with uh, individuals um, that, you know, I was just, looking to learn more about a particular topic, for example. Mm-hmm. And were these people, around, you know, that you met around the lab or in, a, in kind of a little bit uh, a wider circle uh, in the Institute? Yeah, I mean, you're, like, I think it, you'd be pretty lucky if you met all the people you're, you're looking to talk to in the lab. No, it's much wider network, much wider circle. Um, pretty healthy to keep a wide, varied network of uh, people in your, in your sort of connection list. So would you suggest, you know, attending institute meetings that may be a little bit, uh, you know, outside of, of your precise domain of research to get to know people, to be exposed to these things? Yeah, absolutely. You know, like I, I said, if you look on the, the bulletin board with a bunch of talks on it and you don't understand a single word on one of those, those talks, <laughs> go, go sit in and see what happens. Uh, and it might be fun, right? <laughs> I love that. I love that. And so now was this uh, the last thing that you did that was still close to, to university To Yeah, that, that was the last one. So, so two positions that were relatively uh, still within the academic space um, and then a complete switch. I would say. All right. So we're going to pause a little bit. This was part part one. And uh, in part two, we're going to talk about, you know, all the exciting stuff that came after. Before going on with the interview, I want to thank you for listening to the show. If you like an episode and feel that it's helped you or inspired you in any way, share it with your friends. Maybe it will inspire them too. At the bottom of the Papa PhD website, you'll find out how to subscribe to our newsletter and how to receive a resource sheet that will help you in your career research. And be sure to follow Papa PhD on Facebook and Twitter and to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Happy listening and happy sharing. So, Sati, welcome to part two of, of today's episode. And uh, yeah, now we're, we're at the step where you leave uh, the, the academic sphere altogether and, uh, and uh, you went to a, f- a completely different world in a way. Uh, uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so, so towards, you know, the end of, end of my time at, at um, what was then the McGill Center for Biomedical Innovation, I think I was, I was looking for some sort of different impact, uh, like really lo- lo- trying to make a difference in someone's life uh, and ran into a friend at a wedding uh, and you know, she, was, she was working for this organization called CHI, which is the, the Clinton Health Access Initiative. 
I said, you know, I said, what, what is that? Is it some sort of missionary work? And, and you know, she sort of scolded me and explained what global health uh, is really about. And it's really about capacity building and, and changing systems and changing policy. I said, uh, cool, can I, can I, can I try that? Um, and because, you know, it was such a, an inflection point in life. I felt like I had a bit of personal freedom to be able to do it. Um, my wife also felt like she was comfortable, like making a jump. Uh, and so, so we said, you know, let's, let's try something for a year. Let's apply to all these organizations in different countries and see what sticks and then just go. Um, so, so, you know, like jump out of a plane with a, with a parachute. <laughs> so it was not only a professional move, but also you were, you were going away to another country. That was, um, that was yeah. uh, part of the, okay, okay. Very intentional decision to go and say, at this point in our lives, we can do this. Let's do this. Okay. Excellent. And, uh, I guess this person, this, this friend of yours explained to you how, you know, what she did and what, what it was about. Uh, did you research a little bit more, uh, you know, because clearly now you're, you're talking at a point, you're talking about a point where you already, your interest is set, you're going to do it. Did you go in a little deeper to see what it was about or just her explanation was enough and uh, and you felt right away with something? No. So, so you know, that was a conversation and then there was months of, of research and I, I talked to as many people as I knew friends of friends connected to me to other people, you know, eventually finding my way to Skype calls to folks in, in Kenya, actually, at the time. Uh, so lots of discussions, chats, tell me how this works. I don't understand what you do. You know, what's the space like? Can someone like me add value? So all sorts of conversations. Like it was a couple of months of a process uh, to understand. And when you asked if someone like you could add value, uh, you know, someone with a PhD in uh, neuroscience, uh, how, how did that, you know, how did that resonate with the people you were talking to? Yeah. So, you know, by this time there was like now exposure to industry, uh, understanding of how the business of science works, involvement in the digital health space. So there was, there was a couple of threads to, to talk about with people. Uh, where it was like, you know, like, what does my background mean in this space? Um, and you eventually start to understand what's missing and what what's useful. And I think the capacity, uh, the capacity to adapt and and try different approaches to problem solving, is one that cuts across domains. So I think that that's one thing that came through is people are like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, we have no one who knows how to do that. Great. Um, that would be really useful if you ever came over, you know, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Cool. And so you, you did this research, you know, of course it's a big move, so you need to prepare. Uh, and, and I was expecting that you had a couple of months, <laughs> you know, to, to look <laughs> into it. But um, so you researched, you probably found some, tar some targets uh, in terms of, in, uh, of uh, organizations you wanted to work with. But then came the time of, you know, building uh, your either your CV, cover letters, uh, you know, promoting yourself as a as a, the perfect candidate for different positions out there. Was that easy? Uh, was there again uh, some fear or anxiety involved? How was that the start of that process? So, so one, you know, remember I had I had you know like four years earlier gone through this process of trying to present myself to a big management consulting firms. So I kind of had an idea of how to work my CV. And so those skills always come in handy, even if that's not what I did right after that. 
um, to learning about the organization that you're applying for is exceptionally important. Um, and now as someone who hires people, you know, when I get a CV that, or a cover letter that shows that no one paid any interest or attention to, to what, <laughs> what it is we do, I mean, you know, I don't really want to spend time looking at that, right? So in retrospect, you know, like trying to tailor your CV is kind of important. Um, and then you get interviews and, and understanding how to present yourself. Uh, you know, everyone sees CHD and, and the initial reaction is, oh gosh, I have to spend 30 minutes talking to this, this weirdo on, <laughs> with a neuroscience degree. Um, but so it's your job as, as a candidate to dispel that myth, you know, be personable, uh, talk about broader interests. Then it's cool that you have a PhD, right? Because you're, you're, you're creating, like dispelling that misperception that most people have. Um, yeah. And then, and then practice the pitch. Like, what do you want to say? What's your story? Uh, why does someone with a degree in, you know, neuroscience or cell biology want to work in global health? Uh, and, you know, that can be a really confusing story or that can be a really compelling story. And I think my story was, I'm a problem solver. I, you know, applied these skills in science. I shifted to something else. I think I did okay in those two things. Um, and look, I, I'm really passionate about solving global health system challenges. Uh, and, you know, do you think you can give me a chance? Um, and that was a fairly successful approach. Um, so, so there was a couple of really good interviews, uh, and I decided to pick one of the positions that came through. Cool. And again, so you said you had practiced before um, you, you, with when you were interviewing with the consulting companies. Uh, and I think practice is the key word here. You said uh, practice your pitch, right? Uh, what what's what was the what's, what would you say was the the typical format of of let's say the first interview? And if someone wants to 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 you know build a little story that they want to pitch, how sh how should they go about writing or preparing this pitch and practicing it for let's say their first big interview? Yeah, so it's a little bit like uh, speed dating, right? Um, like speed dating. It, yeah, yeah, it's, exactly. It's like someone's going to say, tell me about yourself, right? And you want to captivate them, but you want to captivate them in a way where you know what they're looking for, right? So highlight those parts of your story that they're, you're, they're looking for. So if it's a, a biotech industry, then you you maybe you want to talk a little bit about your exposure to... Uh, high throughput, whatever experiments and things like that. If it's not, don't bother. You know, like nobody wants to know what your experimental skill sets are. Uh, what they want to know, yeah, not at that point. What they want to know is what are your transferable skills. Um, but they, I think, more than anything, people want to know why it is you want to talk to them and why it is you want to work with that company more than anything else, right? Like that's what they're going to remember when they put the phone down, which is. I really like that guy's story or that girl's story. That was really cool. I'm willing to give them another chance. And and that's what you really want from an interview or a phone call is the next one. Uh, and then and then you figure yeah. out what you're going to say in the next one. <laughs> uh, so, you know, uh, get, get the second date. That's that's your most important objective. Um, and, and present a compelling argument. And great. And did you, I'm going to have some follow-up questions on this. Did you get to practice with your peers, you know, to this, the, before you went to this or you had these first calls, I don't know if they were Skype or, or if they were presential, but did you get to actually practice with someone 
uh, or you know, how did you go about getting ready for this? 100%. I, I, you practice all the time. I still practice our organizational pitch right now. Even if it's not formal practice, I will just talk to someone and be like, I'm going to try this approach this time and see what happens, right? We are not, uh, human beings are not, I mean, unless you're super talented, getting it right the first time is pretty much unlikely to happen. And the interview is a one-shot thing. So practice it, get your pitch right, sound natural, be comfortable, be confident. And the only way you do that is by talking and talking and talking to someone else to the point where you know exactly what you're going to say and you can like pivot based on what someone's responses are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And again, for, for someone uh, that might be preparing out there, are there stories, stories that are telling about, you know, your personality, your perseverance, your resourcefulness that you that you have uh, consistently used through you know do you feel that something like this might be important to focus on when you're practicing uh, a little bit of storytelling that yeah. that that not only talks about where you come from but who you are and and what your you know uh, what your medal is in, in terms of uh, of being a collaborator Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think that's a really good tip. Um, so have the stories ready, right? So so classic interview format is tell me about yourself. Um, never make that too long because nobody wants to sit a, on a phone call listening to a paragraph of information. Um, the next couple of things that someone is trying to find out is do you have the skills for this job at hand? And you can say I have analytical skills, I have presentation skills, But every other person is saying that. But if you say, I have analytical skills, you know, you know, there's this one time uh, in my job that I did this uh, and we had this large data set and you know, I had to crunch through numbers all night. Um, that is something that someone's going to remember, right? So I think having the key stories handy, having that illustration of those skill sets handy is really important. Mm -hmm. Excellent. This, uh, this is, I think, a very important point that, that you're making here. And For the listeners out there, take note because, uh, like they say, practice makes perfect. And in in this case of, you know, standing out in a in a group of maybe hundreds of candidates or even tens of candidates, really, I guess, in my opinion, and tell me if you agree, depends a lot of on your storytelling ability, and how compelling you are, and how how well you did your homework on the organization you want to get into. You know, and and uh, and yeah, I guess one of the things they probably look for also. Is is this guy going to be a cool teammate? Uh, is is you know is he going to fit with the culture? You know, absolutely. Um, so they are looking for your ability to sell yourself, not just because they are looking to hire you, but because most jobs involve those skills. You have to present. You have to articulate a problem. You have to, you know, you have, you have to pitch constantly in in almost any job. Um, So it's so critical. So, I mean, one thing to know is that it's not going to end with the interview. It's going to be part of the job, likely, um, and most jobs. Uh, and, of course, people are just looking to have a conversation as well. So, you know, like the, the best thing to do is to put yourself in, in a position where you think you're having a conversation with someone at a coffee shop and you're just talking about stuff, but you're trying to be compelling while you talk um, so that it's not stilted and it's not some sort of, overly rehearsed uh, pitch, but it's a natural but sharp pitch at the same time. Yeah, I guess that's where the practice is going to make the, the difference. You're going to have removed all the, 
all the uh, the uh, rough edges and it's you know it's going to go smooth you're going to be to the point and and the person's you know you're going to mark the person by you know your ease but also the comp- the, the the compelling factor that you just mentioned so now the the next transition i guess all of what we said applies to your move to jacaranda health or is, was there something special on how that transpired no i think you know the move to jacaranda health um was was kind of a uh, culmination in, in searching for working at a leadership level in an organization uh at this sort of uh, earlier passion for entrepreneurship and starting something and growing something um and i i gotta say it's the the one job i've had that brings basically every skill i've ever learned to the table uh we do research so i have to dust off some some statistical thinking uh we we test new things we build relationships with the government we like we do everything that i've learned over the last you know 10 years um since leaving grad school um and so yeah i guess the the take-home message for me in that is nothing's ever wasted uh that you learn um because i'm using it just about every every skill today awesome and now Looking, you know, from the top of the pyramid where you are right now, and looking back all those years, um, it's it's it must have been, or it is for sure, a steep learning curve. You you couldn't do what you do today, you know, straight out of your PhD. There was, you know, there was the, there were all these steps, and you 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 added, you know, pieces to your puzzle until you you got to where you are today. And and like you just said, what you what you are today is kind of a sum or comes from a sum of what you uh, of what you did before and where i'm getting at is were there people uh, key people or 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 groups of people because you've talked about conversations a lot and i think for me it's it's one of the most important things especially when you're in grad school you can feel that you're alone or you can feel isolated and conversations are i think are key to to kind of solving this this uh this uh what's what comes after puzzle but where i'm getting at in a kind of a roundabout way is did you have mentors did you have people that kind of pushed you a little bit uh forward in in some of those steps or some of those learning curves that may have been a little bit steeper yeah i mean the first thing i would say is it never ends right i i feel like i'm still on a steep learning curve uh for everything and i think that's a pretty comfortable position to be in uh because it that means you're growing as an individual uh hopefully um and then and then to answer your question yeah absolutely there's 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 so many people uh out there who have provided advice guidance uh some you know longer term than others uh and that i use today that i think back to and i and i feel like 90% of people will always respond to a request for advice. You know, 10% of people will only will respond if you're asking for a job, but 90% will respond to a request for advice and guidance because we've all been there. Everyone has. They've all had their own path and journey and so they want to give back in most cases. And I think it's so valuable to take advantage of that and talk to people and learn from them. Um and it's it's certainly helped me for sure. Mhm. Hearing what you're saying, a big thing and i think everyone who decides to go into grad school has it is curiosity curiosity was key to all of your these little conversations that you had here and here and there and then the big ones uh so if you're curious about something 
if, even if it's if you know it's not exactly uh, next door to what you're doing today you know go go talk to the person and uh, ask your questions and and like you say people are happy to to talk about what they do and to uh to answer questions of people who are who are interested definitely um and then i guess uh being open to feedback and to to um any advice that may come because sometimes it may be unexpected you probably had like you said some serendipitous you know meetings with people that you had never expected and and that kind of opened uh different perspectives to you and and if you're not open to convers- to conversations and to just exchanging um uh, you know some some chat it could be chat with someone sometimes you don't know what what's on the other side of that door right yeah absolutely i i think getting to know people uh, understanding what their story is is really important uh you know do your homework before you talk to them as well cuz cuz if you have 15 minutes with someone don't don't you know ask them uh, about their story for you know hey tell me what you do uh or what your organization does say you know i i learned about your organization and i had this specific question because that's first so much better and for for the person you're talking to and second you get to the meat of it right like they'll give you such rich advice um because now you have a full 15 minutes to talk about something in depth uh versus just a generic conversation and um uh, you know you're mentioning you you've just said that there's a bunch of people that you resort to when you need to or that you have resorted to when you have needed either information about uh, a new domain or or i guess even professionally in everyday life you probably you know talk to people when you have an issue that you haven't faced or something new um but from maybe from, you know from those people who have been more consistently uh, mentors that you know people that you consider mentors in that have been there for a longer time are there lessons that that you have received from them and that you know that you feel that are useful to you every day and that you can share with the with the audience yeah i think uh, you know so one one lesson is is really to focus on generating impact so so as you get further and further into your career the the kind of bs level increases right like you can convince yourself that you're doing something that's that's amazing uh but it may not necessarily be true there's a lot of fluff that comes in but the the real sort of are you making a difference question is a hard one and it's one you should constantly ask yourself and the advantage of having a mentor is they'll ask you that uh more often than not which is so so tell me what you're actually doing you know that kind of that kind of thing so i think that that constant focus on what is it i'm trying to do what is it i'm trying to change am i achieving that is super important um and then related to that actually a great piece of advice uh i got uh from from phil barker uh who was at the neuro as well was uh yeah, i think he's <laughs> you got to figure out how to get that monkey off your back as quickly as possible. So in other words, like don't don't concern yourself with the minor issues, the minor challenges. Uh focus on the big ones, the big issues and then and steam steamroll right through it, right? Like cuz your energy if you're solving a big enough problem needs to be 99% focused on that problem and not on all these other little things. 
Um, so that kind of strategic focus is so important. Uh, and I think that it's one I think about all the time, which is like, oh, let's let go of these things. Let's drop it. Cut this away. Cut this away. Focus on this. Uh, and I, I've spent a lot of time uh, trying to sharpen that. Okay, like streamlining, you know, your your whole process to to give maximum focus to what's really important. Yeah, you get rid of the noise. Really, there's a lot of noise in everything, right? And and actually, that is that is fundamental to scientific discovery as well. It's like mm. you can ask a hundred questions, or you can ask these three really important questions and figure them out. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so now, one thing that I'm getting, and and I think it's it's very important for you, but very important for anyone who's who's looking into actually i think anyone who goes into grad school they're looking for meaning right they're looking i want to do something meaningful and what i'm getting from you a lot is that it's also important in your professional life you're going to be much more fulfilled and you can you can you know commit much more to to a, a long term project if it's really meaningful to you right and uh, what I'd like you to do now, and it's the kind of the last thing that I usually do at the end of the interview is how can people who are either now finishing or having just finished their the, you know, grad school, what two or three uh, pieces of advice could you share with them, you know, to make sure that they're able to find a meaningful, uh, a meaningful professional future after their, their PhD know to to transition in a in a practical and effective way and to then find themselves in a job that they like and that is meaningful to them yeah um so i would say so three things so the first is understand what gets you going as an individual right like what is it that drives you uh, what is that one thing that you get so excited about um whatever it is you know is it is it that the sort of the Western block coming through the machine uh, and, and you seeing your discovery up front, you know, what, whatever it is, understand the sort of fundamentals of it. Is it the discovery piece or is it the fact that you're having an impact on someone's life? Or is it just the fact that you can do a lot of analysis all the time? Whatever it is, you, you sort of know thyself, right? Uh, and know what, what, what gives you that motivation. Um, the second is try and create uh, or, or figure out what the, the sort of short-term objective is uh, and, you know, like, and a long-term objective. So the long-term one doesn't have to be very specific, like I want to save the lives of, of moms and babies in Africa, but it can be like, I, I want to have meaningful impact in someone's life in health, right? That, that's one long-term objective. And then the short-term one is to do this, I think I need to understand how, you know, drugs make their way into the market. Uh, and and then from that, work your way backwards to understanding what skill sets you need uh, and learn as much as possible. Because without that, you're not going to be able to like work your way backwards. And, and I see what a lot of people do is they start building skills and going to business school or something like that without actually recognizing what it is they're doing it for. And then the third is like, is for the, the sort of journey that's going to happen, which is just carve your own path, right? Like everybody has their own path that they should be taking. Don't, don't follow a cookie cutter approach. Um, just because someone else did it and was successful at it. I think every individual has their own path that they're going to take and, and 
it's okay. Just be comfortable in it. It's going to be scary. Um, and it is meant to be scary. And the fear of the unknown is, is definitely there, but it's so much more rewarding. I find yeah. it's what drives exploration, right? Exactly. Discovery and exploration. I mean, we're scientists, right? So that's what you do. So, so that's what life should be like. Excellent. One thing that I, I think you didn't say at this point, but that you mentioned before is central, especially to the last two points that you mentioned is conversations, talking, talking with people. Because yes, you're going to carve your own path, but people have carved paths that look, look like yours. Go talk with these people, have a coffee, see what, you know, what, what, what they're like, even just, you know, saying, okay, this, this person's interesting. Uh, oh, I, 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 I like how they, how the, how they found uh, this domain or how they created this domain for themselves. So conversations, I, I would say, you didn't mention it now, but you did mention that along your way, it was talking with different people and being interested and, um, and asking, not, not being afraid of asking the questions that were, you know, piquing your interest. Yeah, I mean, if I didn't say it, I like I'm gonna say it now. Just talk to as many people as possible. There's so much knowledge and wealth of information out there. People are willing to share, willing to advise. Uh, there's so many tools where you can have a uh, uh, an in-depth discussion with someone and learn and, and figure figure you know get those knowledge points as you were saying and, and, and figure out what you want to do. Excellent. So, if our listeners want to uh, talk with you, <laughs> Sati, how can they reach you? It definitely uh, reach me via email. Uh, I would say they should just get in touch with you and you can share uh, yep. my email. Um, and hopefully that builds your mailing list. <laughs> awesome. Well, then I'm not, I'm not going to share your contacts. <laughs> no, but uh, we, so what's the website? Um, what website can they, can they see what Jacaranda Health is about? For yeah, example? so you, they go to www.jacarandahealth.com dot org and uh, talks about the work we're doing um and yeah i you know i'm facetious you can find me on linkedin uh it's pretty easy um but i'm i'm always happy to chat uh since i've benefited so much uh, from it in the past excellent i'll share i'll share the the link in your show notes sati this was great it was great talking to you after a long time uh i, I and i really think uh, that that your story is going to be you know compelling and uh, inspiring to uh, a lot of people out there uh, uh so thanks thanks a lot for uh, for having accepted my invitation thanks a lot david much appreciated thanks for listening to another episode of the papa phd podcast Head over to papaphd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic postgrad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas, and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests. Papa PhD.